This is New Classical Tracks from listener-supported American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it, help spread the word, and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Pianist Natalie Zhu is the artistic director of the Kingston Chamber Music Festival in Rhode Island. She and cellist Clancy Newman have been making music together for about 20 years. During the COVID lockdown, she asked Clancy to create a program for a virtual recital for the music festival. Well, that recital has evolved into their debut recording. It's called From Method to Madness, The American Sound. And that's what we'll hear about this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Locker. Um, I just want to start off by getting to know each of you a little bit. Why don't we start with you, Clancy? And I'm also curious about your name. I mean, Clancy is not a common <laughs> name. I've heard, you know, it, it's kind of an, um, I want to say, I want to say a vintage name, if you will. But tell me a little bit about um, your name and a little bit about you. And then Natalie will move to you and, and get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name actually comes from an Australian folk hero, sort of like a cowboy. My f- parents are Australian. My family's Australian, although you wouldn't be able to tell by my accent. And there's a poet from Australia called Banjo Patterson, who he was turn of the century. And his most famous poem was Waltzing Matilda. But his second most famous poem was Clancy of the Overflow. And that's who I'm named after. Yeah, so my parents moved to America after they got married. Uh, and after moving around a little bit, they ended up in Albany, New York, of all places. Uh, and that's where I was born and where I grew up. And uh, then after high school there, then I went to Columbia and I majored in English there, uh, doing a five-year joint program with Columbia and uh, Juilliard. Um, and I got my master's from Juilliard and I've been playing the cello and composing and playing concerts, uh, ever since then. Well, you started playing the cello when you were about six years old and it sounds like maybe you've been kind of joined at the hip with your instrument ever since. How did, how did that happen? How did the cello become kind of your best friend? Uh, well, I, I guess my older sister played the violin and um, I was always just so jealous of her, I guess, having this this like instrument that just seemed so cool and she would not let me touch it, which I don't blame her because, uh, you know, at that age, I was, you know, who knows what would happen if I grabbed a hold of it. But that made me want to play an instrument all the more. Uh, so uh, I didn't want to play the same instrument as her. So I chose the cello. I think I was really lucky because I had no idea what the cello sounded like or anything like that. Uh, I just started and I think that I just happened to sort of uh, fall into, uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm biased, but I think the best instrument. So I'm very happy I chose the cello. (laughs) Well, Natalie might have an argument to make with that, but we'll ask her that in just a minute (laughs) about the best instrument. (laughs) Um, I know... (laughs) 
Clancy, you have also earned a number of honors, including an Avery Fisher career grant. What did that grant allow you to do? Um, it allowed me to uh, pursue uh, various projects that I had in mind at the time, uh, including actually I, I made a recording back then, which I guess would have been my my first recording. Uh, this is quite a long time ago now. And so uh, it, it funded um, that recording, which was, uh, yeah, at the beginning of my career. And that's kind of the purpose of the grant, right? To really help launch your career along? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Natalie Zhu, you also are a recipient of the Avery Fisher Career Grant. What does that mean to you? Well, the grant gave me a lot of opportunity um, to connect with the classical, you know, world. I play a lot of um, chamber music, I, you know, throughout my life. So that every Fisher Korean grant gave me a lot of um, wonderful access to different uh, chamber music festivals, uh, like Marble Music Festival, Philadelphia Chamber Music Society, and, you know, a festival like Seattle Chamber Music Society as well. Um, it gave me a lot of opportunity to work with, you know, artists like Hilary Hahn, and Clancy Newman. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, wonderful. One of the ways that your name is pretty well known is through Hilary Hahn and your collaborations with her. What's it like to work with Hilary Hahn? What do you enjoy most about that? Well, she's one of the most amazing artists and and a very, very good friend um, of mine. We, we knew each other when we were at Curtis, the Institute of Music. Um, we used to be neighbors as well. So I think all of these uh, came very spontaneously. Um, we really didn't plan. We just enjoyed, you know, making music, playing music, uh, you know, have a play day <laughs> after school. Um, I think I think it, it was just at the right timing. And musically, uh, we had a lot of similarities and we had the same uh, goal, same dream at the time. And yeah, eventually we developed a very uh, special bond, um, even with now. Um, Sometimes we talk, um, and the latest album we did was the Suzuki album, uh, one, two, three, for the violin. Natalie, how did the piano become your instrument of choice? Um, Well, actually, my dad uh, is a pianist. Uh, I studied with him at age six, in China. I just love the piano sound. Uh, we actually have a violin at home, but I never touched it. <laughs> Probably is, you know, kids, they have a different kind of feeling toward different instrument. So piano was my instrument at the time, and I loved it. Wonderful. Well, Clancy and Natalie, how did the two of you become collaborators? Well, I guess it goes it goes way back to it would have been 2000 when uh, we each won the astral artists auditions um, astral artists is a um an organization that's philadelphia based that uh, helps out uh, young classical musicians and so then we got through that lots of opportunities to play together um, at that time um, also we were both uh, attending Marlboro at that time together. Um, and so it just seemed like a, a very natural collaboration uh, that, that took shape through that. 
Is this your debut recording together or have you made other recordings together? Uh, yeah, this is the debut recording. Yeah. Oh, how interesting. Well, I know that this came about during the pandemic. Uh, this is sort of your COVID project, if you will. And it started off as a virtual performance. Talk to me a little bit about that, because Natalie, this is related to a chamber music festival for which you are the artistic director. Will you share that story, please? Uh, yes, um, this program was born out of a virtual performance, which uh, yeah took place during the pandemic shutdown. Um, I'm the artistic director of the Kingston Chamber Music Festival in Rhode Island. Um, so after we premiered online, a patron who was watching online was so taken by the collaboration. And he actually emailed me that told me he watched 100 times online. And he loved it, and and he really encouraged me and Clancy to, you know, go into the studio to record. And, you know, he helped make that possible. Uh, it's real, really a silver lining during a difficult time. And we're very, very grateful that he supported us because this is really a life-changing project for me and, you know, probably for Clancy as well. Um, it, this whole program just captured the emotion and, and the feeling at the time. And uh, I'm, I'm just so grateful that we got a chance to record this um, album together. Tell me more about why this was so life-changing. You said a little bit about that, Natalie. I don't know if you want to add anything else, but certainly I'd love to hear your perspective as well, Clancy. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, that was such... Uh, a very uh, vivid time, I think, in everyone's life. And I remember recording that virtual recital and thinking as I was playing um, the music, and in particular the, the Barber's Sonata, uh, the slow movement in particular, um, and thinking about uh, the, the difficult times that, that people uh, close to me were going through um, and it was a very, very uh, personal uh, thing that now whenever I hear that that music, uh, I, I just I associate it very, very strongly with with that time. Um, uh, and also even just when we when we recorded it for the uh, the album, I was that was definitely on my mind as well, um, uh, because it is just such a such a, an outpouring of emotion. and also the Kenji Bunch, the slow movement of that as well. And I, I, I guess also during that time, we were all um, kind of in our own bubbles, in our own world where we couldn't, we couldn't travel um, overseas or anything like that. And I think that um, doing an album of American music also sort of sort of uh, captured the the sense that we were all in it together in America uh, trying to to uh, to go through this difficult time uh, together I just want to add that you know on this program we have uh, 20th century 21st century American composers I think their works are very powerful because in a way um, their music showed us that art serves as the collective and individual pursuit of excellence and perfection. Uh, in a far from perfect world. Um, and I 
feel like, you know, this has always been the case and always will be. So there's the, you know, the art and there's our reality in the world. So it's, it's fascinating uh, to play this kind of music in this kind of, um, in this time. I'm curious when this patron told you that he watched this program a hundred times, what was so impactful about this program that made him want to keep watching it over and over again? Did he share that with you? Mm, well, he didn't go into the detail, um, but I sort of understand um, how he felt. I, I think the way he felt probably would be the same uh, as all of us uh, felt during that time, uh, which is full of uncertainty, you know, at the same time full of hope. Um, yeah, there, I, I really don't think there's any other words can describe music, um, especially this program, because there, it's so emotional to me. Um, it's really an expression um, of human, humankind. So, Clancy, do you have anything to add? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think the specific pieces that we chose uh, for this album, they all track really, really well, which is, which is one of the reasons why uh, we chose this program. And what I mean is every single second, you know where the music is going to or coming from, uh, there's never a dull moment, and um, and I think it's hard to find pieces that that have this that just just constantly sort of draws you in, and I think that might help explain one of the reasons why uh, the donor wanted to uh, watch it over and over again, because um, it just it's I think it just sort of engages you and 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 just holds your attention. Let's talk about the theme behind this recording, which is called From Method to Madness, The American Sound. And it relates and showcases that element of friendship or collaboration between composers, performers, and friends. And yet this, of course, was a time when you had to really be creative about how you were having those collaborations. So talk more about how this theme came together during the global pandemic. So, so the title of the album, uh, From Method to Madness, uh, The American Sound, the From Method to Madness part is the, uh, the title of my composition that's on it. And uh, I thought that there's something about the idea of From Method to Madness that encapsulates uh, both art in general and music, I think, in general, the idea that you need to have both the passion uh, which you could say the madness, the the irrational element, the em emotion, but also the discipline to uh, meet it out in a in a way like I was saying with with the music tracking, um, uh, using some sort of method to and structure, and um, and I think that uh, with uh, American music and the American sound, I mean you you can see the madness in America certainly now I think um, and. Maybe, maybe throughout, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of relatively short history, uh, but I think uh, there's also uh, this sweeping melodies uh, that I think of as part of, um, of what America has uh, 
you know, not to get too much of a cliche, but with, uh, you know, the mountains and the, the valleys and just uh, the, the beauty of, of America. Um, and I think that all the music on this album has uh, sweeping melodies and, uh, and very, very clear contours and, and shapes uh, with, with climaxes. And like I said before, it's, it's, you really get a very clear sense of where you are in the music and whether it's building to something or coming away from, from something. I think that these pieces are just, uh, uh, I mean, I won't speak for my own piece, but certainly the other three pieces are just absolutely spectacular uh, works. The title track, which you wrote, is based on a new method that you had discovered at the time called the Golden Ratio. Would you talk about that and explain it to us a little bit? (laughs) Um, Well, it's always difficult uh, to talk about this method because I feel as though... um, and actually, I think this is probably true of composers in general. When 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 we speak about our our music, it can be very off-putting in a way. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to just simply say, "Oh, just listen to it." I'm not going to speak about it. Um, I noticed that I was sort of taking over dinner parties and and whatnot, where you know someone would ask me about this this method that I came up with, and uh, and then the next thing we know, that that ends up being the whole dinner party is me going on and on about it. Uh, so I made a I made a video um, that I put on YouTube that explains this method in detail, um, and all I'll say about it is that uh, it's a method that uh, takes variables, and in the case of this piece, um, it's it's pitches, and it sorts them into a structure that is based on um, the golden ratio. Uh, it repeats. Uh, not periodically, but aperiodically. And I think that the uh, by making it aperiodic, it, it makes it so that it's both predictable and um, unpredictable in terms of when when the uh, pitches occur and the, when the patterns happen. And then I, what I do is I fill in the blanks. So it starts out with only Ds sounding, and it's just very slow with just the Ds sounding. Then I fill in the space between the D's with A's. And then I fill in the space between the D's and the A's with uh, with G's and C's. Gradually, and then I fill in those with like uh, blue notes, like um, A flats. So gradually, by filling in more and more of, of the notes, uh, what you discover is that these huge expanses that were just Ds are actually filled in with something that's really jazzy, and you never would have guessed that at the beginning. Um, and then the jazziness just seems to, to be um, asking to like escape from this method, uh, and then go. And so then the second half of the piece escapes from the method and goes into this uh, sort of crazy uh, kind of Latin sounding dance.
Um, and then it just uh, even overflows from that and just continues into just pure uh, madness by the end. Why was this the last piece on the recording rather than maybe the opening piece, since you named the recording after this piece? Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, uh, I think having having it have that sort of crescendo, it's basic. the piece is five minutes long and it's basically just one huge crescendo all the way to the end. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit like a cup of water boiling or something where it starts out and it's just water in liquid form. And then gradually it's it starts to bubble uh, until finally it's just boiling and, and boiling over uh, onto the stove or, or whatever. Um, and I think that this piece has that excitement to it becoming just completely uh, crazy and frenzied by the end. I guess I thought that that would be a good way to um, to end the album uh, after beginning it with the Barber Sonata that uh, that starts in a more uh, conventional um, and romantic manner. So talk about the Barber Sonata and why that was so important to open the program with. I mean, you've talked about the impact of the slow movement. What else about that sonata made it the right way to open this recording? Uh, I guess it's the most um, well-known and standard of the works on the program, um, although it still isn't played as much as I think it should be, because I think it's just an absolutely masterful work. But I think it really, right from the beginning, captures what the cello is. Uh, it starts with the cello's lowest note, and just in the first phrase that happens right at the beginning, it already goes from the cello's lowest note uh, up to a pretty high register on the cello. And I think it really is a great way to introduce the idea of what the cello is at its best, which uh, you know, the cello is a lot of things and it can do a lot of things well, but I think that the cello is best when it's playing beautiful, sweeping, romantic melodies. And that's certainly what, what Barber is, is great at doing. Um, you know, he was himself uh, a singer, so he really, really thought in a lyrical way. And, and you hear that in this sonata. <laughs> What is the role of the piano in this Barber Sonata? Oh, tremendous. Uh, <laughs> um, pianists love to play with cellists because we have so much to offer uh, harmonically, rhythmically. Uh, so for me, the Barber is really um, masterfully crafted and built on romantic structures and sensibilities. And, you know, at the same time, super lyrical and, you know, rhythmically complex and harmonically rich. So the piano really provides that foundation for the cello. And uh, the barber is really a major challenge um, for me personally, because uh, Clance and I have to, you know, coordinate with, you know, those thorny cross rhythms.
lightning-fast changes in tempo. Yeah, so we had a lot of fun playing this together. Clancy, you gave the premiere performance of violist composer Kenji Bunch's Broken Music in 2003 at Lincoln Center, and that, that piece was written for you. And again, this is the first time you've recorded it. Tell us a little bit about this piece and why you're finally recording it now. Yeah, well, um, I was so lucky. I was just incredibly lucky. So in 2001, um, I won the Nomberg uh, competition. And part of winning that competition was that I would get to premiere a piece that Nomberg would commission in my recital in Alice Tully Hall. So uh, I didn't get to choose who the composer was, but just by sheer luck, uh, Nomberg chose Kenji to write the piece. And I knew Kenji because we were at, at Juilliard together and um, and I had heard some of his music and I thought it was so great and amazing. So I was so excited to find out that Kenji was the composer. And I met with him uh, before he started writing the piece just to uh, sort of give him a sense of who I was as a cellist and to, to talk about stuff. I actually played a piece that I had written just so he could sort of get a, get a sense of who I was. Um, and so he wrote this piece and I think it is just a blockbuster piece. All four movements are so strong and so just unbelievable. And yet they also go together so beautifully and, and, and really perfectly, I would even say, just structurally. It's just absolutely really, really, really amazing. Every time I've ever performed it, uh, it's always the audience's favorite thing on the program. And I've, I mean, it doesn't matter what else I program with it. It could be, you know, it could be Schumann, Rachmaninoff, Beethoven, whatever. The audience always loves this piece. It, there's something about it that really speaks to people, I think. Um, I really love that about the piece is just how um, unpretentious it is. It, it really, I think, I think can just uh, come across so well, regardless of, of who the audience is. Uh, so I'm just, I, I just think I'm so lucky to have had this piece, uh, I, I guess, sort of fall into my lap. Um, and I've been wanting to record it for a long time. So it's just so great that I finally got the opportunity to do it. Each of the four movements explores a different meaning of the word broken. Could you talk a little bit about that, please? Yeah, uh, so so Kenji was thinking about this idea of, of the word uh, broken. And uh, he, he wrote program notes for it where he specifically talks about how each movement represents different aspects of the idea of, you know, a broken chord. Or, um, or a broken verse. But I remember he said to me uh, that he was also thinking the I think maybe I, I, I could be wrong about this because I've got to go back, you know, 20 years in my in my memory here. But I remember him saying something like he was talking on his cell phone. I guess I guess they had cell phones back then, just beginning where uh, he was speaking to someone and they said, you're breaking up. 
you're breaking up. And that was sort of like what made him start having this idea of like the idea of breaking up. And I, and what isn't in his program notes, I think, I think that um, he was also up, up until then, you know, I had, I had listened to, to a lot of his music and it was pretty positive and optimistic. Uh, this piece is, is darker, you know, not to say that there isn't, you know, there's the wonderful second movement, lighthearted scherzo and, and the, the last movement, which is sort of like almost like techno in a way. But there is this this uh, darkness to the music that um, I know that there, there's definitely some very personal stuff uh, that that Kenji was expressing with this piece, and I think you really hear that in the in the slow movement. It's a a very personal, very very um, uh, easy to relate to uh, piece of music. Natalie, what strikes you about this piece, Broken Music? Is there a section that just really um, is especially powerful for you? Um, my favorite movement would be the uh, broken verses, uh, the slow movement, which is the third uh, movement of the piece. It just touches your heart. It's sad, but um, it's lonely. But at the same time, at the very end, it's still hopeful. Well, I didn't know this piece um, until Clancy introduced to me uh, during the pandemic. And, you know, the first moment I heard about this piece, it it took me somewhere else. Um, It took me to a place that, even though it's sad, but it it comforted me in some way, uh, especially during the height of the pandemic. Sometimes I listen to to it many, many times. <laughs> Not only playing the piece, but just by listening to the piece, I found comfort in some way. Did it in any way offer a sense of maybe nostalgia? Mm. Yes, that's a perfect word for that. And yeah. can you think of like um, a moment that it took you back to, maybe that gave you that feeling, maybe something that it reminded you of? Actually, it made me... F- Think about my childhood, actually. Um, you know, I immigrated to America from China. I, I had a lovely childhood um, in, in China. In a way, I feel like America is my second home. But at the same time, I'm thinking my other home in China. So it, there's this complicated feeling, mixed feeling here. I came to America when I was, I think, 10. So I spent... 10 years, good years in China. Had a wonderful, wonderful childhood. So in America, it's a completely different place. It's very exciting. It's a different world. And um, I feel this piece really bring back those great memories in my life. Thank you. I appreciate that candid response. 
There is a capriccio for cello and piano written by Lucas Foss on this recording as well. It goes back to 1946. While he was the Boston Symphony's pianist under Serge Kuzovitsky. What do you like about this piece? Why did you want to include it on this recording? Yeah, well, um, I knew about this piece from way back when I was in high school, um, was when I learned it. And so back when I was in high school, I guess it would have been uh, early 90s. And at that time, I had sort of thought that, quote unquote, contemporary music had, you know, you could say this piece was not really contemporary since it was written in the 1940s, but that uh, contemporary music was sort of atonal and, um, and uh, uh, you know, not, not very accessible. Um, so when I first came across this piece way back then, I remember just thinking, wow, this is just, this is such a great piece um, and totally different from uh, a lot of the, uh, the other so-called contemporary music that I had come across. And so as I was thinking about how to put together this program of American music, I realized that this piece that I had played way back then would fit in absolutely beautifully because uh, it, it contains elements of, of playfulness, of humor, of um, uh, Americana. Uh, the Foss has sort of like hoedown kind of stuff in it. Things that'll, that might remind someone of, of Aaron Copeland. It's lighthearted, but there's there's also a little bit of, of depth to it as well. Uh, uh, you know, it builds to a big climax, uh, which is followed by um, a, a lyrical moment. returning to the kind of hoedown stuff at the end. I think it's just, it's a, it's good to have something that's, uh, that's, that's lighthearted and, and fun, uh, as well as the more serious stuff. It was really fun to play. <laughs> and the composer himself said that, that he liked the combination of Bach, he said, as well as humor and the American characteristics. Do you hear Bach in there? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, all these um, contrapuntal lines and different voices. I think it's just really fun to collaborate um, with another musician in pieces like that because you know, we all have to, you know, stand up for, you know, individual voices in our playing. And we, in a way, we kind of uplift each other to give the composer voice um, a chance to, you know, to live through our humanity in a way. Um, I think this is really like American music um, by Lucas Falls. So, yeah, so we're, the clients and I just trying to, you know, bring out those characters throughout our playing.
I know that this started off as a, an online concert and then it became a recording. As you've been working on this project together in both of those areas, what has been most memorable for each of you? Well, I think for me, um, <laughs> well, I just love to play with Clancy because he challenges my mind. I have to say this program actually was uh, Clancy's idea. So when I trying to program for my festival, I asked Clancy, oh, you know, we should play a cello recital together. And I asked him, what do you want to play? And he came up with this program. I said, oh my goodness, I, I don't know any of them on the program. I actually had to learn every piece. And, you know, they're not easy. And, um, but, but after I listened to all these pieces and I said, we have to do this because the music is just so powerful. And we can bring something really special to people out there. Um, yeah, so... Clancy always give me challenges. Um, you know, we play many other sonatas, like Rachmaninoff sonatas, Chopin sonatas, um, and and some of his own sonatas, which is super super difficult. But um, <laughs> he, I, I learned so much from him. <laughs> Can't ask for for anything else. <laughs> Natalie has always been very kind to go along with with whatever I'm doing and to, and she's so open-minded and willing to, to try whatever I might suggest. And she's just a phenomenal collaborator uh, and musician, of course. Uh, And I I feel like playing with Natalie, I, I feel like I can do anything and I have freedom uh, to be myself and and that's a that's a wonderful and rare uh, feeling uh, when you're when you're working with other musicians. Uh, so I really appreciate that. And of course, it was through Natalie's uh, festival, the Kingston Chamber Music Festival, that this whole project uh, began with the with the online uh, virtual recital. So uh, it was really great that Natalie uh, asked me if I was willing to to do this this. Uh, this idea of, of having the, the virtual recital and then um, taking these pieces that, you know, really are, are by composers who most people probably wouldn't have heard of other than, than the barber and, and go with it. So I'm definitely very grateful for that. Well, likewise, Clancy is an amazing cellist. <laughs> Always wonderful to play with him. In fact, the debut release from Clancy Newman and Natalie Zhu. It's called From Method to Madness, The American Sound. Thanks to Valerie Kaler. She's our producer for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. ¶¶ 